Welcome into the EMA Online podcast. Mason Voth, Alec Bussey here with you from EMA Online. As we get set, talk more about the Cats and everything happening with their basketball season. It is uh, as good of a start as you could have hoped for for K-State. They are now 15-1, 4-0 in Big 12 play. And they have beaten two really good teams. Or one, they're really good teams still. But they're not what we thought they might be at various points. And Texas and Baylor. Uh, a solid team in West Virginia, same for Oklahoma State. And now the schedule starts to beef up a little bit more as they hit the road for Fort Worth this weekend to take on TCU. And then uh, the big one with Kansas coming to town on Tuesday that everybody will be excited for. But things are going well. There are three teams atop the Big 12. Uh, KU and Iowa State are there. That will change after this weekend because those two teams play in Allen Fieldhouse. Um, there have been close calls the last two games in Allen for the Jayhawks and it's also their 125th basketball anniversary celebration this weekend so I give the Cyclones absolutely no shot at winning in Allen this weekend um, so whatever whenever the line comes out uh, before we hit the road to Texas I will be placing my legal wager on the Jayhawks uh, come uh, Saturday or tonight when we're recording this on Friday because they won me money on uh, Tuesday because as I told you, even when they were down 10 points and then it was seven, um, they always come back in those situations. It's it's Allen Fieldhouse. They always win those games. And Vegas, they're a bunch of idiots if they haven't learned that over the last however many years. KU never loses in Allen Fieldhouse. No matter the deficit, no matter the situation, they always find a way to win. So that was uh, some easy what money that came my way. deficit to Kentucky last year? Um, well, that might be the one situation that they can't come back from. Um, but they came back the rest of the way that season. I should have known that that's the, the next rule too. If they get blown out by 30 by somebody, then you just put money on them to win the national championship because they're going to come back from it in an even bigger way. So uh, we've got a lot to talk about with the big 12, but let's start with the Wildcats who gritted out a victory against Oklahoma state last week, uh, or this, I guess it was this week, but last Tuesday, Oklahoma state is not a good offensive team. They were without Musa Cisse, who is, not much of an offensive threat for him at times, but he is a, a big deterrent on the inside, can do some things defensively. And K-State, for the most part, had the lead a majority of the game. They were down at halftime, though. And Oklahoma State, every time K-State tried to make that little run, the Cowboys had a bit of an answer. Uh, what did you make of the game on Tuesday? And, and does it say anything one way or the other about K-State's future this year? Yeah, I thought that beating Oklahoma State that the way they did was really impressive from the standpoint that we've seen K-State kind of blow teams out. Maybe not blow teams out. We've seen them post really impressive scoring numbers um, in their two previous Big 12 games against Texas, obviously that 116-point posting. And then um, a few days later beating Baylor, posting like 97 points in overtime. And I think everyone kind of recognizes that that offensive production probably isn't the most sustainable, particularly in the Big 12, where it's a league that's prime so much on its defense and there's so many good de defensive teams in big 12 like you said Oklahoma State's one of them obviously Iowa State um, does a really good job on the defensive side um, you know there's a lot of teams in the big 12 Kansas does a really good job on the defensive side as well uh, that when you kind of put things all together right like being able to score 116 points and 97 points probably isn't the most reliable thing to bank on but we've also now seen K-State win a couple rock fights or ugly games in the big 12 too against West Virginia and Oklahoma State where they didn't hit all their shots or things weren't completely working for them on the offensive end. And I know Jerome Tang spoke after the game about how being able to win games in multiple ways in the Big 12 is really important um, because there's a lot of times you're just not going to have shots falling, but this is an offensive team right now that looks like they have one guy that they can bank on to make some crazy shots every game with Marquise Noel. And obviously he scored at least 20 points, I think, in every Big 12 game, scored 30 in at least two of them. Um, but to be able to overcome a semi off night for Keontae Johnson, where he just scores 12 points and goes five of 11 from the field. Like it says a lot about what K-State was able to get um, on the defensive end against Oklahoma state. And I know Oklahoma state's one of the worst power five offensive teams in the country, but still like they played well defensively. And I think that's something where K-State showed some improvement. Yeah. And really, you know, there were still some things to like about K-State offensively. Um, it, it wasn't as good as it had been in previous games, but K-State was still good at the free throw line. And they also shot the three at a pretty average mark. I mean, they were 33%, so nothing special, but they hit some at critical times. 
really, to me, the key is Marquise Noel was five of 10 from three. So he continues to be efficient when he's shooting from deep, which is a very important thing to hit for him because last year we saw that there was range and that he could shoot it, but it was more because of volume and the percentages weren't as good. Percentages are up this year. Ish Masood has hit a couple of big shots in back-to-back games now, and him getting consistency from three to where when he does t- touch it, like he is open a lot on those catch-and-shoots, and if he is going to be consistent with the shot, then he is a legitimate piece they can put on the floor. So I think there were little things to like about that. I, I don't think it is insignificant, like you were talking about either, about Keontae Johnson having an off night. I mean, it, for him it was. 12 points ties the lowest output he's had all season with his game against Abilene Christian. And those points really, like it didn't feel like he came alive until late in the game offensively. But the fact that K-State was able to push through that and survive, that's a pretty significant deal. And to, to, to show that, that means that they can step up, do some things moving forward. And a, a few of the other guys came through for him as well, and they were able to defend hard enough. Part of it is, I mean, Oklahoma State is a terrible offensive team. We know this. Their offense is basically let Caleb Boone pound the ball inside and then cross your fingers that we're going to actually make some threes tonight, which is typically not the case, and it wasn't on Tuesday against K-State. They shot 23%. Bryce Thompson was terrible. Um, each time they jacked up a three. I mean, that, that's just one of those, yeah, let Oklahoma State shoot those. Make them do something other than a layup, and you can beat Oklahoma State. K-State did it. And I would honestly probably equate that game to, I mean, like, uh, go back to the to the Dolphins and Jets this past weekend. The Dolphins knew all they had to do was win the game. And I think the reason why it was so low scoring and just ugly offensively is because Mike McDaniel knew all he had to do was outscore the Jets just barely. He knew their offense wasn't going to score on the Dolphins' defense, so he could play the field goal game and, and just battle it out. I think K-State was content with – I mean, they would have loved to have scored 100 points if they could have, but they weren't going to go – uber fast and play like their hair was on fire. And I think we saw that. Um, and they did a lot of good things in, in the game. Now, the one thing they struggled with was it wasn't offensive rebounding because they were actually close to the state in offensive rebounding. The issue was that what the two teams did with the offensive rebounds, Oklahoma state ends up with 16 second chance points. K-State ends up with zero. Do you, do you have any like theories or, or what the logic would be to that? Why Oklahoma State was successful and why K State was not when they got the second chances? Yeah, I think it just kind of has to do with the type of interior presence that K State has. Like, it's not like Nikon Tomlin or Baby Egiola are the most physically imposing bigs on the inside. I don't think that their mo their skill set or their strongest gifts are um, on the glass. I mean, you kind of look at what they produce this year, rebounding numbers wise. I mean. Noel is obviously one of K-State's lesser rebounders at three game, but, you know, just to kind of put that in perspective, like Naquan Tomlin's only getting 5.8 rebounds a game and Bebe is only getting 3.8 rebounds a game. Um, Neither of those are the high on the team. Keontae Johnson actually leads the team in rebounds. So I don't really think that they had a great matchup on the inside against someone like Caleb Boone, who's pretty physical, um, known as a strong rebounder for Oklahoma State as well. So I think that that's something that maybe if you want to circle a concern for K-State looking ahead, to the rest of the big 12 and really maybe even this weekend against a team like TCU that has a traditional big um, that rebounding and offensive and second offensive, second chance opportunities is something that I think that they could struggle with, but also just keeping um, opponents off the defensive glass um, from K-State's perspective is maybe a little bit tough too. like, I think it's going to be hard for K-State to get a lot of second chance opportunities because they don't have an uber gifted rebounder. I know Jerome Tang talks a lot about how, what attracted him to these bigs was the fact that they had speed and they could run the floor and that they're pretty skilled, particularly Tomlin. Um, but that also maybe leaves something to be desired on the glass. And this weekend when you're going against someone like Eddie Lampkin, who's around seven foot, 300 pounds, like I don't think that's a great matchup for K-State on the inside. Um, talking about the battle on the glass. So you need your guards, you need your Cam Carters, your Keontae Johnsons, your um, Ishma Sood in particular, I feel like to, really kind of give K-State a little bit more on the glass as a rebounder because none of those guys in particular are giving K-State a ton. I mean, Keontae's obviously at seven points or seven rebounds a game. Like, I don't know how much more you can really ask of him on the glass, but Kim Carter's only at 3.2. Desi Sills is at 3.1. Um, and obviously, Ish, just one of the reasons he struggled to get on the floor early in the season was 
his lack of rebounding. I know that's something that Coach Tang talked a lot about early in the year. I mean, it's just a, just one and a half rebounds a game. So those are things that you want to see improved. Um, and I think that rebounding is one of the biggest weaknesses of this K-State team really as a whole when you kind of look at it. I mean, their offensive rebounding rate um, isn't great. Um, so all those things kind of considered, like, it's kind of tough when you don't have a traditional big that can bang in the inside and get good positioning because they don't have someone who's really large and not to mention that David Gasson's not playing either. Yeah. Well, and, and that is a big concern for this weekend because if you look at TCU and what they bring to the table, three of their top five minute getters are listed as forwards or centers. And then even one of those guys that isn't listed as a, as a forward or a center, one of their guards, Damian Baugh, he's six, four, uh, and has plenty of length, and that's going to be a concern for K-State, like you said, where really when you're looking at what they're going to do inside, you've only got Keontae Johnson, Ishmael and, and Bebe Igiola when Gasan isn't available, and that that's a little dicey, especially because those guys have all gotten into foul trouble at various points. Um, Keontae, not as much, but we've seen Bebe and Ish both in, in that regard. Um, so K-State's going to have to, to kind of focus up here. And, and Naquan Tomlin, obviously, will contribute there as well. But, uh, I mean, he's a guy that probably is going to end up a little bit more around the perimeter because typically he's going to end up on uh, one of the more athletic guys they have. So, like, you're not going to put Naquan Tomlin on Eddie Lampkin, I, I wouldn't imagine. Um, and, and he's ended up in I don't think you want to put Bebe on him either. <laughs> well, Bebe might get bowled over. I, I, don't, I don't know what the move is going to be there for Lampkin. Whatever K-State does, though, like the the obvious key to this weekend is I, I wouldn't say how you approach the Oklahoma State game because Caleb Boone did shred you inside. I mean, Caleb Boone had like 23 in the game on Tuesday night, um, but o, OSU only had one other guy in double figures and nobody did anything from the perimeter. TCU equally as bad of a shooting team as Oklahoma State. The, the Horned Frogs are shooting under 30% from three this season. Um, even some of their better players when they jack up a three, I, I can't fault you for letting it happen. Like that's fine. Let it go because I, I don't think they're that good. I, Mike miles is a talented player, but everybody else seems to like him a lot more than I do. Um, he, he is great. You have to worry about him, but I don't think you need to worry about him too much. Um, so I just think K State's going to have to find a way to do whatever they can to at least limit the stuff happening inside and force, force just a few more times some some kickouts or the paint touches and make TCU feel the need to shoot more shots from the perimeter because if you do that you're going to have um, a leg up now that's where the rebounding is going to become crucial because I don't think that you can survive against TCU by giving up and losing the offensive rebounding battle giving up 15 of those and then the second chance points being as efficient and so I think K-State's one thing that I would hope that they worked on this week is finding yourself in better position after a shot goes up, because I think that's what a lot of this comes down to is it's great to go for the basketball, but also at times like make sure you've got a man near you that way. If, if the, the other, other team does get the ball, you're ready to go into defensive mode again, just as much as you are to go back uh, and, and play offense. But I don't know. That's, that's really my biggest concern is just the size of TCU uh, and what they could bring to the table. But Similar to what, I mean, you and Gabe brought this up earlier in the week when we were talking, but like what other team in the Big 12 other than Kansas has a duo that's better than what K-State has in Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson? Because I, I at this stage, I don't think there's anybody um, outside of KU where you could say Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick, and that bodes well for K-State because they can go into any game with that duo knowing they have a chance to win, and that's why I'm not like – overly concerned for them going on the road to Fort Worth this weekend they could lose this game that like that's I, there's probably a better chance than not that they lose this game it's a road game in the big 12 against a good team but also it, it shouldn't concern you like oh we got TCU this weekend any more than uh any other random game the conference would be yeah to go back to the point that you said about K-State having um maybe the best duo in the big 12. I think that they're right there. I think there's a couple other groups that you can maybe put into that conversation. I think Baylor's guard duo of Cryer and Flagler or Cryer and George or Flagler and George or whatever um, are all really good. But I don't know if like 
like as a trio, that's when they're at their strongest. Like when you take one of them away, like it makes the others not as good. I think Texas has a really good backcourt as well. Um, obviously with Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter, but I don't think that anyone in the league has a better one two than Kansas and Kansas state do. Um, and I think Kansas probably has the best top three when you include someone like McCullough into that group, just with how much he gives them on the defensive side. And McCullough is not like maybe the most gifted offensive player at times, um, but he does give them a lot on the defensive side. And I've been really impressed with someone like KJ Adams this year. I know he went off against Oklahoma and went for 22, but he's obviously someone that's in a much different mold of a bill self center, right? Like he's not Mitch Lightfoot. He's not David McCormick. He's very far from Yudoka Azubuke. Like, He's a six seven six eight athletic center. Like he's very different um, than what we're kind of used to seeing out of the team in Lawrence. But yeah, I think that what's really allowed K State to kind of surge up, not just the AP top twenty five rankings this past week, but also just kind of in the minds of college basketball pundits, is the fact that they have such a good duo. Like I don't know how much their supporting cast is awesome. Like if you take away Keontae, you take away Marquise, like. I don't think you feel awesome about, you know, the rest of your supporting cast of Cam Carter and Naquan Tomlin and Baby Giola and Ish Pursuit and Desi Sills. Like, I think that those two stars that K-State has really helps make everyone else a lot better. But it also helps make the entire team so much more successful because they count for so much um, that opponents have to think about and scout for on the defensive side. And I think I said this to someone that I was sitting next to in Baylor or at Baylor. I, I always say in Baylor. That doesn't really make sense. It's not really a town um, at Baylor that Marquise Noel to me is just incredibly difficult to guard because he'll pull up from the logo, but he'll also drive and get to the teeth of the defense and hit some circus shot. Like he did with the left hand that Scott drew pointed out after the game, or he'll dish it to a really good cutter. Um, whether that's Naquan Tomlin or Keontae Johnson, like those are two common cutters that K-State uses. Like, I think Marquise is just really difficult to scout against and guard against because he's very unpredictable and he's proving to be very good at a lot of different things. I think his three-point percentage is up to like 38% on the year. So you obviously have to guard him on the perimeter and he's not afraid to check it from way deep. Um, But yeah, like I think K-State's duo at the top makes them really difficult to beat and, it's one of the reasons why like I'm picking them to beat TCU this weekend is because when you have a lead guard playing as well as Marquise Noel is, it's really hard to pick against that team in college basketball. And when you have a secondary option, like Keontae, who is probably going to give you at least 15 points a game. I know he only had 12 against Oklahoma state, but you can probably bank around at least 15, 17 points a game, a couple threes, quality defense, five, six, seven rebounds a game. Like it's hard to beat a team with a really good dynamic duo like that in college basketball. Yeah, well, I, I I do think that the unpredictability for for Noel is important, and honestly, I think what's I mean, he's scoring better. He's he's turned into an even better player this year than what he was last year for K State. But I think what helps is that the guy that he is, and I mean, he has other guys, but the main guy that he can dish the ball to this season isn't a, a dude that is similarly sized to him like Nigel Pack was. Where when Marquise Noel would would drive last year or have the ball in his hands, you know it's either a shot or likely the pass has to go back out to the perimeter because Nigel Pack is the other offensive option on this team. Whereas now it's more so he can, when he is driving into the lane, the shot can either go up or he can flip it to somebody that's closer by or throw a lob to a Naquan Tomlin or a Keontae Johnson that can actually finish it. Or, I mean, you don't understand, Alec, because you've not been around, but – the fact that Bebe Igiola and David Gasson know how to catch the basketball is a gift from God for the Wildcats. Like they had Kobe bigs was really that, bad about catching the ball too a lot. Well, he was at least, you know, like superior physically. But he was also get scoring 20 and 10 and wasn't all American. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, if, if, you know, if Davion Bradford and McCall Mayween were doing that, like great. And I, I shouldn't say that about Mac. Like he, McCall Ween needs to be remembered a little bit better than maybe he does. He won a big Joel championship. He served a good role, but it did seem like he kind of regressed in the hands department. So the fact that bigs can catch the ball and finish when they get it, that benefits Marquise Noel this year. And for guys that are just like scoring guards, it can become easier to predict what they are going to do because you know that the option is, 
They either shoot it here or they shoot it there. And the fact that Marquise, not only is it that he is willing to pass the basketball, but he is really, really good at passing the basketball, that's a significant deal too. And, uh, I mean, it's it's a much different thing, but I'll, I'll use this because I compare it to stuff that I see a lot. Like, I, I watch the Dallas Mavericks. I'm a Mavs fan. And one of the things that makes Luka Doncic really tough to guard is the fact that, yes, he will pull up and shoot from anywhere. He can finish when he gets inside, but he is probably one of the top five passers in the NBA. Like, he can make any kind of pass, and uh, he's a little bit taller and much more thicker than what Marquise Noel is. Um, Are you calling your best Marquise... player fat? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, he's, you know, <laughs> he's like, yeah, Luka's a little chubby uh, for an NBA player. But, I mean, he still gets the job done, so who cares? And he actually uses it to his benefit at times. But, like, that's kind of one of the things that Marquise Noel has going for him right now is that the defense isn't going to know what he's going to do. And the fact that he's been able to add in shooting still – it's now closer to 39% than it is 38% from three and all of that kind of blows me away because I really, like, I just thought of him more as a volume guy that was probably going to shoot, like, 33% and maybe lower than that even, but I'm okay with him taking some shots. He's a legit shooter this year, and that's a big boost to K-State, and then it helps that I think he's he's always had the passing ability. Typically, if you're a smaller guy and you have some deficiencies in, in certain departments, you learn how to pass and be a smarter basketball player. I think he's always had that, but now this year he actually has the horses that can can finish for him, and we've seen that with Keontae, Naquan, and uh, – whoever else may be in the game at the time. So that's that's a big benefit to K-State. And I think that is what makes – I mean, you talked about the guard duo um, and, and Waco. And really, I mean, there's three of them. Like, you can have Flagler and Cryer and then throw in George. And George is probably their best player at this point. Um, Texas has good guard play. But I think it helps when you can have guys that – you have a dude that can play on the perimeter and facilitate from there, and then a guy that – is versatile like Keontae who can finish inside. He can bang inside with guys, but he can also stretch it out. And I think that the fluidity and the flexibility of K-State's top two players is what makes them probably either the best duo or the second best because obviously uh, Wilson and Dick are very talented, um, but K-State has something very special in the fact that you can have your one and then your, your hybrid three or four in Keontae uh, be those two guys because some only have it in the front court and others only have it in the back court. And the fact that K State has it with guys that are in totally different realms of where they're going to play on the basketball floor is important. And that's why they're in this position right now. Well, and I think to kind of add on to that, you talk about how Keontae plays a little bit of a different role. Keontae essentially plays every role for this K State team because he's a wing. And not to turn this into a huge NBA draft discussion, especially for someone who's not like the biggest NBA fan and really doesn't really watch too much until the playoffs come around because I'm absorbed by college basketball so much more. But, you know, with the NBA draft, very few times last year um, did we see a center go. Like, that's obviously become a huge thing, uh, whether it's guys like Kofi Coburn, someone I covered, or Oscar Sheeway is another good example, or Drew Timmy, or Hunter Dickinson, or maybe even Zach Eady this year and Trace Jackson Davis. Like, they don't necessarily pique the interest of NBA teams too much because they lack skill and guards kind of are or point guards in particular, I should say, are maybe losing some interest to NBA teams as well because they tend to be smaller and they, they maybe don't do things as well, like rebounding or maybe have some defensive deficiencies in comparison to someone like a wing, like Keontae is like Keontae can handle the basketball. Is that his biggest strength? No. Like, obviously he's been a little bit turnover prone this year. He's averaging, almost three turnovers a game, which is a lot more than what you would want um, for someone that you're going to put the ball in his hands. But those have started to go down a little bit as the season has progressed. But Keontae can handle the basketball. He can pull up from three. He can get to the rim. He can finish at the mid-range. He can obviously rebound as the team's leading rebounder. Like He can do so many different things. And wings are so valuable in basketball because they're so versatile in the different skill set that they can give you. I mean, just kind of think about how the number one team in the country right now, Houston, is built. Houston is essentially a team that's built completely on wings. Like I know Marcus Sasser um, is someone that a lot of people view as being one of the best 
guards in the country, but like, I don't know if I really view Marcus Sasser as being a point guard. Um, to no. me, he's a little bit more of a wing. Like Jawan Roberts is six foot seven. Like they have a whole bunch of guys who are between like six foot five and six foot eight. Jermon Mark is six foot five. Um, Jamal Shedd is like their point guard and he's six foot one, but he's kind of like a two at the same time. Like, um, you know, when you build teams based off of wings, like it's so much more difficult to defend them because they're positionless almost, but they're also really good defensively because they can guard three, four positions at a time. And that's become so valuable. And that's why teams like Houston have had so much success. That's why we saw a team like Kansas last year win the national title is they were led by a really strong pair of wings in Ochai Abaji and Christian Braun Brown. I don't, what is the right way to say it? It's it's Brown, but yeah. It's Braun, like Ryan Braun. Okay, that always bothered me, by the way. I know that he's not liked very highly, particularly in K-State circles. I can get on with the name pronunciation not being well-liked. I'll, I'll join the crowd on that one. That one bothers me. Uh, but those two wings, Jalen Wilson played on the wing last year for them. Uh, but we Baylor, the national title team, like obviously Davion Mitchell and Adam Flagler were – more guards and Jared Butler was a guard, but like all of them could do different things. Like when you have guys who are diverse in their skill set and gifted and doing different things on a basketball court, that's what makes teams really, really good in my opinion. And it's the way we've seen the game trend. Like, why would you want a big on the floor? That's not skilled. Like, why would you want to play four against five in certain areas? If that one player can't handle, if that one player can't guard at a high level, if that one player can't pass at a high level, like, those are all things that are really important to an offense and defensively. Like if you're playing a player who can't leave the paint, like that's really hard to defend a lot of times and playing drop coverage can put you in a weak spot. Like K-State's in a position right now where, yeah, they, they play a big with Bebe and they play a big with Naquan Tomlin, but Naquan's really athletic. Naquan can probably guard four, five positions. If he had to Bebe isn't as yeah. gifted athletically as, Naquan is and he's obviously a little bit thinner but like he's really long and he can probably guard two three positions if he has to like Keontae can guard four positions maybe five if he has to I mean he played a little bit of five at Texas ish although he's not a great defender like you can kind of put him on a five if you have to and yeah I think that's what's really making this case eight team so difficult for opponents right now is that defensively, and I know they haven't been great defensively the last couple of games, but you can kind of see some of the, the interest of the defense and why it could be intriguing and why it could be talented is because guys can do, do multiple things, but also on the offensive end, everyone can seem to kind of get to the rim. Everyone can kind of make their own shot. Everyone can pull up from the perimeter. Like all these things are put, being put together in an offensive scheme that is really effective right now. And it's all led by Marquise Noel. Well, I think the important thing uh, when it comes to to defense isn't necessarily are you a good defense or are you – well, let me say it this way. I don't think that being a good defense or being a bad defense is as simple as people want to make it be when it comes down to, oh, your defensive numbers are bad or your offensive numbers are bad. At the end of the day, what makes you a good defense is if you're limiting the opposing team from scoring enough to beat you and I think the position that K-State is in right now, they're finally playing offense in basketball. That had not been played over the last three seasons in Manhattan. And really, even when they were good, they, they seemed to not want to worry too much about offense. My biggest pet peeve is a guy that loves the game of basketball. The way you win games is by putting the ball in the hole. You can play as much defense as you want, but at the end of the day, if you don't score a single bucket, you're not winning a basketball game. That's how it works, you know? Like... I agree zero, to a point. Like if you put I think, zero points on the scoreboard, you're not going to win the damn game. Like yeah, so I, better, I agree to learn point, to play some offense, particularly at the NBA level. But at the college level, where guys generally aren't very good shooters, you need to be a good defensive team. And I'll use Purdue as an example last year, a team that I was obviously close closer to um, than maybe some of our listeners were. But Purdue was obviously very good, and I think a lot of people enjoyed watching them last year because of the freak of nature that Jaden Ivey was, the freak of nature that Zach Eady still is. Like Purdue was in the 90s, I think, at the end of the year and adjusted defensive efficiency. And that team should have been really good defensively. Um, they have really good, de- they had guys who profile as good defenders. Jaden Ivey profiles as a good defender, but he just didn't care. Um, you know, there's other people on that team that have strengths and weaknesses defensively, but they just didn't care to defend. Like, I think 
there's guys on this K-State team defensively right now who maybe don't have the highest interest in defending. Like, I think Ish is maybe in that group. Um, I think Cam is maybe in that group at times. But when Cam turns it on and wants to defend, like, Cam will guard you. Like, Cam will get up in your grill. Honestly, I think Keontae Johnson has a little bit of that in him. He does. But when Keontae wants to guard, Keontae will guard. I actually think – I think think that – I don't know. We haven't seen as much of him, so it's tough to say. I just don't think Ish is a good defender. Um, I I think maybe he wants to – I think sometimes maybe he wants to play more than than what Keontae does at times. But also the thing that Keontae has is he's not afraid to go grab a rebound for you. And like you're saying, when he wants to lock in, like he has the body and the size and everything. And the other thing for Keontae, and I learned this in the year that I covered Illinois and that they were a one seed, is that like their best player on that team was obviously Io DeSumo. And Io was not a very good college defender, but then he gets to the NBA and the Bulls turn him into a really valuable defender. I don't think Jerome Tang and Kansas State are like circling Keontae on every scouting report and being like, you need to be our best defender today. Because if Keontae is expending a ton of energy every single trip down the court defensively, then that's it's that much less that he can do on the offensive end. And I think the coaching staff recognizes that they need to him to be able to score 17 to 20 points a game or whatever it may be for them to really win. So it's Keontae, turn it on and guard when we really need you to guard. If we need to stop, like we need you to be the one that's going to convert for us on that end. And like that, we saw that at the end of the Texas game. I know Casey ended up winning that game by 13, but they put him at the five and matched up small. And Keontae was on the five and Keontae was doing a really good job of making it difficult for Texas at that point. I think it was mm-hmm. DSU playing the five at that point late in the game. Like that shows the ability of Keontae Johnson defensively. Whereas when he wants to guard, like he'll get up in you and he'll make your life hell. Well, and so and that's, I need that's to touch the, up for thirteen, by the way, like Jerome Tang. Yes, uh, give us five. No, so that's that's my point. Is I think this team, even though you know at times maybe numbers would say they're not like this great defensive team, they have the pieces and they have the guys that can lock in and play defense. We saw a little bit of that on Tuesday against Oklahoma State. We've seen that in certain moments this year. Um, obviously Naquan Tomlin's body lends himself to being able to make some pretty impressive plays defensively. Marquise Noel is an absolute pest when it comes to, to defense, and he's always looking to try and swipe the ball. So this team, they have the offensive ability, and the thing that they have that some teams don't that are really good offensive teams is the willingness to lock in at the right time to play defense. It's like that's why Baylor won a national championship in 2021 is because – they were a great offensive team. I mean, they could shoot the lights out, but they also, and part of it helps that Davion Mitchell was, he was willing and ready to guard anybody at 100% all the time, but they were all willing to, to chip in and lock down defensively when they absolutely had to have it. And that's, to me, a bigger, por- a bigger importance than just being a good defensive team is being a team that can score and you can lock in defensively when you absolutely have to have it. And K-State does have it right now. If you ever want to entertain yourself watching defense, go watch Davion Mitchell's film from the Baylor national title game. He put people in hell for an entire season. Like Davy, And there was a video that floated around on social media a week or so ago. He's obviously with the Kings now, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he put, he guarded all five guys on a single possession for the Kings and just is relentless. I mean, he puts other teams in hell with his ability and, I think that that's what we've really kind of seen with this Baylor team this season struggle um, is that obviously they have some new pieces with people like Keontae George, who are still maybe learning some of the defensive principles of the college game, but we've seen their defensive efficiency fall to sub 50. I think last week when KCA played them, it was around like 63 or whatever. And I, it Baylor's defensive efficiency fell at the end of the year. They won the national title because they had those losses at the end of the season because of the COVID and everything. COVID. Yeah. But that team was the best offensive team in the country. Uh, this Baylor team is not. And I think that's one of the reasons why they've, excuse me, kind of struggled this year against some better opponents is that their defense just isn't as good. Well, yeah. And, and I also think like outside of Keontae George, they're having some offensive struggles right now. They, uh, they, need, some, they need some other guys to step up. And yeah, like they're, they are missing that big inside that they can rely on a little bit more. So, We'll see, yeah, they but don't have everyday John. We can say his name. We we know that it's Jonathan Chamwa Chachua, 
We don't need to do just like everyday John. No. Uh, I Every time Jay Billis would repeatedly say it, I wanted to smack his face across the room. Everyday John. Everyday John. Everyday John. Didn't? Um, just say his name. Chomwa Chachwa. It's not that tough. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think that originated inside of uh, the Farrell Center from, from the Baylor staff, but I don't know. Maybe – Maybe it did. I don't know the origin story of it. I just know that I heard it a thousand times. And as a guy that was not a Baylor hater and wanted to see Baylor have success, that even pissed me off. Like I, I could do without calling him everyday John every damn time. That I like everyday John. I think it's a great nickname. I think it's awesome. It fits what does it mean? So well. what, what, what does it mean though? What, like what's the point? He plays really hard. He shows up every day. Same guy every single day. You same know who else practice, does that? Marquise Noel. Effort, like doesn't ever he take goes out there and drops twenty every game. Yeah, but he doesn't every have day to Mar- do that. Keast. He doesn't You're have start to calling do him everyday Keese. No, so, but it's like the whole principle of it's like his motor is incredible. Like the kid plays so hard for forty minutes, he runs the floor. He never gets yeah, tired. And, he guards like no one. I guess I need to stop because I'm I'm not trying. You're disrespecting to be hard. the everyday John. No, I'm not trying to be hard on him or the nickname itself, just how many times people said it. It's like, you can say his name. You can say it's it. It's a tough it's name fine. to say. It's an even tougher name to spell, by the way. Jonathan Shamwachachua. It's not that no, hard I know how to say, to say it, but the first time I saw it, I was like, what the hell is that? Yeah, but then you hear it once, you're fine. It's like Felix Anyadike Uzama. Speaking of which, he's declared for the NFL draft. Yeah, he did He did do that. Felix Anyadike Uzama, Tim Brando, sent him to the <laughs> NFL draft. Um, so... Well, I don't know. We'll 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 discuss more uh, football next week uh, and some things going on. Uh, real quick, some final thoughts about the TCU game coming up this weekend. Everybody knows about Mike Miles. Averages close to twenty a game. Uh, is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. He's going to take a lot of shots as well. Um, but some other guys that people should probably be aware of, and the guy that might be the most concerning is Emmanuel Miller to me because I talked about him earlier. He's got great length. He puts up numbers, and he is a threat to shoot the ball when he gets a look. Um, and, and if you leave him open, he can knock down shots from the outside. So I think that's going to be a challenge for K-State. And I guess this starts, you know, a, a good question here. Over the next two games, uh, who do we think Naquan Tomlin is defending primarily? Because I think that he's the guy that if, if, if you think there's somebody that is that team's best player and they are over – you know, six one, six two, whatever. You put Naquan Tomlin on them. So, do you put Naquan Tomlin on Emmanuel Miller? I assume tomorrow, and then in turn, who do you think he should guard against Kansas? Should it be Dick or should it be Wilson? I would probably put Keontae on Dick, um, just mm. from the standpoint that Keontae thicker. Like, I think Keontae will body him up a little bit more. And I think if you can kind of. I don't know though, because I mean, Dick's going to want to live around the perimeter. I, that's that's my only concern there. Is is how much are we going to? Are you going to want Keontae you mean Johnson to get inside? Outside? No, he does not. You see what I did there? Yeah, and I, I saw. What <laughs> I did there. I'm happy I was able to get that in there. Um, that was probably inappropriate. Make sure to put the parental advisory. It was inappropriate. <laughs> um, I would probably put. I would probably decide to put Keontae on dick but i agree with you um that i would put naquan tomlin on miller um as long as you feel that tomlin is going to be disciplined enough to stick with his man on the perimeter at tcu um i know that miller's hasn't shot a super high volume i think he shot less than 33s this year but he's making like 45 percent of them which is pretty ridiculous um so maybe you're comfortable getting him a couple looks early but you don't want him to get hot especially a team that's not a very good three-point shooting team like TCU, I think they're in the two or three hundreds um, in terms of team three point percentage. Yeah, they're three twenty two um, by Bartorvik, which is awful. They're sub thirty percent. So you don't want him to get hot and start knocking down shots, especially at home. But yeah, I, I do agree that I think that you kind of want Tomlin on on Miller. Uh, but then I would probably switch it up, and I would probably consider putting. Yeah, I don't know. That's a God. Kansas is so good. I would probably put. Keontae Johnson on Dick, and I'd probably try and bother Wilson with the length of Tomlin because Wilson's not going to hurt you as much from the perimeter as much as Dick will. Yeah, 
I think I think it's a good tr- test run against Emmanuel Miller this weekend to see how Naquan Tomlin is able to defend him. Um, I I really think the goal should be. I mean, obviously you want to keep him from scoring, but you should also try and limit how many fouls you're going to put up in a game, and that's that's kind of been a concern with with Tomlin and Isiola over the course of the last week. Really, is those guys have ended up in foul trouble, and that's really. It's not a good thing for K-State when David Gasson is still sideline. And, um, I, I mean, Jerome Tang and the staff, they're trying to keep it pretty discreet as to what's going on there. Um, I, I, I think we're talking about, like, being weeks away from seeing David Gasson. And real you, you got to try and stay healthy in there. Real quick, to go back to the Kansas conversation and the defensive mm-hmm. matchups, I'm really intrigued to see what they do now that I think about it a little bit more, uh, defending K.J. Adams. I almost yeah. think that's a better matchup for Tomlin than it is Egiola. Yeah, I mean, so because I think you want a better athlete where on, guys are going to be. I mean, like, because don't you think you want a really good athlete on Adams? Adams is just going to play closer to the basket, so like I. I'm I'm just worried about Grady Dick because he can shoot from the outside and he's got probably the most athleticism inside that building um, come Tuesday night. You don't no. think so? Keontae Johnson does. I think Keontae is the best athlete every time he steps on the floor. Well, uh, he could be, but I, I mean, I think Grady Dick is pretty good there. And No, I, he's definitely a great athlete. No, I don't disagree with you. I think, well, I mean, I think KJ Adams is their best athlete, to be honest with you. I don't know. I versatility wise, like, versatility wise, I I just think that I don't know. I, it's going to be. I might be. I mean, it's Kansas, but it might be a tough matchup for K State, especially being limited. This is where like having Gasson would really help them against you. KU because as much as Bebe Igiola has played well for K State this year, um, he just like he's not as mobile as Gasson can be. And it feels like there's some more versatility to what Gasson could do for them, where he can move around, who he can match up with. So uh, we'll, we'll just kind of have to wait. Yeah, and I see. agree with that 100%. Good call there. Um, my concern on Naquan Tomlin and his defense and why I think it's important this weekend, he was able to limit his foul trouble against Oklahoma State, but he fouled out against Baylor, and he had four against West Virginia, and he had four against Texas. So in three of four Big 12 games this year, Naquan Tomlin has had foul troubles. Um, that's going to be important for him to limit. I think we get a good chance this weekend if he's on Miller or honestly whoever he ends up on um, because it's going to be somebody that can, can maybe stretch out a little bit. I think it'll be important to see if he can play good defense without being in serious foul trouble. And Jerome Tank talked about this after the game against Oklahoma State. It's not about avoiding foul trouble and not picking up fouls. That, that doesn't matter. And he was absolutely right when he said this. It more so comes down to are they good fouls? And the problem that K-State has had with Tomlin and Isiola uh, in particular is their fouls have not been good fouls. They've been kind of dumb fouls at times. Now, I think Isiola has gotten screwed a, a few times too. Like, I think they just see a big guy and they they throw a foul on him when it's been bad. Um, which, by the way, I need all the, the high school basketball refs that keep getting offended uh, whenever I, I'm critical of officials on Twitter – I have umpired baseball since I was 13 years old. I've done it for over a decade now. I have officiated sports before. I do know what it's like, and part of the job is being criticized when you potentially miss the call. So I don't need the snarky, maybe you should put the whistle on sometime. Come out and join us and see what it's like. It can stop. I've done it before, and guess what? Basketball officiating has flat out sucked this year. So. Just wanted to get that out of the way. As you can tell, I'm bothered by it. And oh, hey, by Is the Kevin way, McCune maybe a reason. No one bothering maybe you? maybe there's a reason why there's an officiating a crisis. It's probably because snarky people like you are trying to gatekeep the entire profession. That's why people don't like it sometimes. It's not because of the the annoying, stupid mom that doesn't know anything about the game of basketball or baseball that's trying to rip your butt. It's more so about the people that are in it that try and act like, oh, you have to hit this benchmark and you don't be so uppity about it. Be accepting of people. And when they're good, promote them, move them forward. I just, uh, 
It really bothers me, and it's not. So no, it's Trevor not just Trevor. The one bothering you. He's one of them. He's a great guy. Um, I gave some of his. I look. I I was a menace to the refs at the K State rec uh, during intramurals. I did get ejected from a game one time. Uh, I got. I need to hear the story right now. So uh, <laughs> I need to hear real, the story look, right It's now. not just him. It's it's my high school golf coach and broadcast teacher, Coach Torg. Great guy. Uh, appreciate everything he did for me. But anytime I say something about the refs, he comes after me on Twitter. And it's like Tuesday night, it really bothered me, or maybe it was Saturday. And I'm like, I know for a fact you are not watching K-State right now. You are definitely watching the KU game, whatever. Um, so what happened, we were in – it was first round of the playoffs, um, and I, we, were, we were getting hounded. I mean, just couldn't get a call. It was a very physical game. Um, <laughs> And I, I took it upon myself. You know, I was like a, I was like a good, a, a good player coach. I wasn't going to let my, my team, uh, like my <laughs> other players get charged with them. I was like, Hey, you don't need to talk to him. I'll handle this. And <laughs> after, after it just kept going on and it didn't feel like we were getting a call. We had guys just like dudes were knocking us down inside and going over our backs and just a bunch of stuff. I like, uh, we had a kid go up for a rebound. He gets shoved out of the way. And I jump up and I spin around and I clap. I just scared my dog. And I clap. And I, I, I clap and I point immediately at the ref that's on the baseline. And I said, if that's not a foul, then you better tee me up. And good for her. She did. She did, by golly. Uh, she did give me the tech. And I'm proud of her for doing so after I asked for it. Um, but man, it, it pissed me off and I'm not afraid you to call out bad. In this league. Um, I had picked up one earlier in the game because, uh, I got, I got, I got like smacked in the eye and I'm like, hold, I'm like holding my eye and going down the floor. And, uh, I was just like, I don't know how they didn't call a foul here. And one of the refs even says like, are you good? And I'm like, well, I didn't smack myself in the face. And they teamed me up for that. They didn't like that. So, not <laughs> So, great. I lived with two friends, um, two friends of mine in college, both refed um, as like a part time job in college. Refs, it's and- very important. It's great what they do and everything. Um, like, it's, it's awesome. Also, by the way, it is tough to ref when uh, part of your job during basketball season is to cover a basketball team. Uh, that plays on Tuesday nights, you know, when high school basketball is happening. Uh, like, there are other things that limit me and my schedule from doing it. Um, but, yes, I have officiated before. So, just I, I need, the, I need the, the social media refs to get off my back. So, yeah, I lived with two friends in college um, who were referees for three or four years at our campus rec center. And one of them used to get maybe a little triggered a little quick. Like, he's easy to get under his skin. Um, so we used to kind of like joke with him and be like, why don't you just tee people up and whatever? He's like, Oh, I do. Yeah. Like I'll tee people up real quick. I'm like, don't, don't you have to like fill out paperwork and everything when you do that? He's like, yeah, I don't care. I just, I can't deal with, I can't deal with this. I'm like, TJ, you're such a hardo. Just, Oh no. TJ, no, just look, relax. Like who cares? Like the, you let these guys get under your skin way too easily. I actually think, I think technical fouls need to be given out more in the game of basketball. Oh my God. No, there look, well, okay. Oh my Some gosh. Of them, no, listen, no, 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 no. Listen, th- not to players for like saying and one or celebrating oh, after no. buckets. Like that's really stupid. But when coaches are hounding refs like relentlessly and the refs are just like, hey, no more. And then five minutes later, it's like, hey, I told you no more. Let's stop. There's a reason why the technical foul is there. Give out a technical foul, and more times than not, like that coach is going to get off your butt. You want to know my opinion on the technical foul? If you're an official and you call a technical foul, you're soft. Like you know what you're signing up no. for, unless you unless you really really cross the line and you say something that obviously crosses the line. Like you got to get you got to be penalized for it. Do not do not stop the game and call a T because if you do that, like. You're just showing that what they're saying is bothering you and that it's like taking away from what you're trying to focus well, on. You're no, not making the game like, about yourself. There's that's, a that's what technical line. fouls do. And I there hate that. Like the NBA there. is awful with technical fouls. It's terrible. And that it, it makes it so much more, less enjoyable to watch. 
Well, the, I mean, yeah, that's coming from someone who, who doesn't think that college officiating is good. But I hate how soft and how quick NBA officials are with technical well, I I think I think coaches need them a lot more, um, certain ones and in certain situations. Like I'm not just you know for your random drive by. Hey, you missed that down there, bozo. Like you don't need to tee guys up for that. But like when you're getting the theatrics and it's every time and homeboy's losing his fate, his mind on you. Like um, Mark Fox, you think back to the K State Cal game. Mark Fox had some moments where I was like, just team up, and guess what? No. It all stops. Yes, because you have them for a reason. It's the same thing in baseball. Like you, the the umpires give out warnings because hey, guess what? We're not having any more of this. You do any more of the the arguing balls and strikes, or you do any more of saying this or that or whatever, you're done. Just stop. Listen, and I'm t- all for like if you do that. If sport. you do that, then you're you're gone. And I think I think basketball officials need more of that is to dish out the tea and guess what any of your troubles will stop they will get off your back more times than not that's brutal that's just a terrible opinion no i i don't why would you you want the game stopped why do you want the game to turn into a ref show why do you want to watch free that's not what that's not what this does i mean it it takes it takes one minute terrible it takes one minute you tee the guy up and you let a guy go shoot one free throw that's brutal you can't That's just let brutal. these coaches. Be. No one turns on a TV. No one pays a ticket to see. No one does that. Oh no, no the cr- crowds love technical fouls. No one wants to go see a technical foul fest. How many technical fouls do you see a game? You, you don't. You, you can go Less three, one, four, five like games. That way. You can. Yeah, exactly. So if you add one, and I'm not saying you do it every game, because guess what? The coaches would learn. I'm just saying that. There need to be more of them used. When you have an unruly coach, like, guess what? I love Bill Self. I think he's a great basketball coach. I think he's an entertaining guy. But You're going to get heat for that. When I know. I know. People don't like that when I have an honest opinion. Look, hey, guess what? I hate, I hate Kansas. Uh, I went to Kansas State. I grew up in the state of Kansas, and I can count on both hands the amount of people that went to the University of Kansas that I would call friends. Um, most of the time I don't find them as very likable people. I don't feel, I don't feel bad about saying that there is an <laughs> arrogance that goes with it, you know? And if you're one of my friends that went to KU, um, then, Hey, you're in an, you're an elite club right there. But <laughs> sometimes basketball would be better if you didn't just let Bill self waltz up and down the sideline and do whatever he wanted and say what he wanted the entire game, just turn around and team up and get it over with. Yeah, and then see, he's off your back the rest of the are entertaining. You think uh, you think that's more like I don't know I don't get why it's you more like entertaining than watching a ref like them, see some kid shoot a free throw. Yeah, I don't I don't think you I don't think you understand. I don't want you ever to go into law enforcement because we would live oh, in no, a no I don't ever want to do that either. Yeah, we would live in a terrible a terrible spot because you wouldn't want to police anybody. You just let anything like, here's happen. A, here's a great example. So I love Kirk Creesa. I, I really enjoyed watching mm-hmm. last year's Arizona basketball team as much as our coworker Gabe hates Arizona for obvious reasons. He went to Arizona State. There was a game last year where Arizona was on TV, and I was watching, and Arizona had a sideline inbounds um, right by the broadcast table. Mm-hmm. And Kerr turns to his left or to his right and says just loud enough for the microphones to pick up, who invited these people wearing the stripes tonight as the official is right next to him? That's hilarious. That that like made my entire night watching that game, aside from the fact that I saw Arizona, which was very entertaining. Like college basketball needs more of that. College basketball needs more taunting. College basketball needs more entertainment value. I, I, I don't know the context of that. Like he was just, you know, just, they, they were just not having a good game. So Kerr was like, you know what? I'm just gonna who invited these people in the stripes tonight? That's hilarious. I mean, yeah, whatever. Like, that's just a throwaway comment, but like you have to understand that when they're, I don't know, you're not going to agree with me on this. So we'll just, we'll just move on. But I think you're wrong. Cause I think that you want to play a game without rules. I think that's what you want. I like being entertained. I am entertained when a bad guy gets a technical foul. Okay. You're not going to be entertained when the good guys get technical fouls more frequently. No, but the crowd is very excited about that. Also, 
Um, I don't know that I don't know that like Jerome Tang has a ton of technical fouls in him. He got one this year, right? He he's got one at least. I don't think he's got many more coming his way. I think he has um, one. I I would yes, I would wager one that if he walked in the post game press conference and said yeah. that his mom was going to be upset with him for it, yeah, which was funny. So see, I I don't I'm not too worried about uh, the good guys getting technical fouls. I haven't had to worry about that too much. Like Bruce wasn't going to get many technical fouls. Although I would say at times I would have teed Bruce up. Like that's what just do you how think Bruce was saying to get technical fouls. I don't think it's as much as what he would say. Like, like how exactly? Would you, like how how exactly? But, or how do you think it would sound? Um, I don't know because I think it would just be like constant like jabbering and like you you know telling somebody that they missed it and like his his actions and just I don't know I I I don't know how to to explain that to you but i i don't think he would get it in the standard way of like going after an official aggressively i think it would just be like throughout the entire game be like john can you give us that call can you give us this call like why are they getting that no you can't put me on the spot like that right now we'll see if it it pops mason has a great bruce barber impersonation for those of you listening by the way well it's it's all right um he has a good jerome tang one too by the way that one i think is even better um it's 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 working out uh let's dive into this real quick before we uh we we end things here so big 12 basketball this weekend obviously we're in fort worth watching the cats and the frogs other games this weekend taking place in the big 12 that everybody should be aware of uh the action starts with west virginia and oklahoma at 11 a.m on saturday we'll see how that ends up playing out um West Virginia needs a win here. I mean, they're they're zero four in conference play, and this is going to be one of your better chances for a road win all season. So we'll see what they do there. Uh, the rest of the schedule is Iowa State at Kansas at three, Oklahoma State and Baylor at five, and Waco, and then Tech and Texas at seven uh, in Austin. So which of those games is the one that you're most interested in keeping up with? And uh, is there anything that is uber important this weekend in the Big 12? Yeah, I mean, I think what you said there about the West Virginia-Oklahoma game is intriguing. I think that Baylor needs a win, obviously, against Oklahoma State at home, um, just so that they're kind of going in the right direction after getting a win at West Virginia. Um, but to be honest with you, Mason, I think the biggest game in the Big 12 this weekend is probably Kansas and Kansas State excuse me, and TCU. Yeah, because I think TCU well, is really hungry for a win um, being a 500 in league play. Um, I think K-State getting a win on the road again in league play would be massive. And to move to 5-0, not that K-State needs a win um, for the Big 12 race right now. Um, but I do think that that's probably the best game. And obviously, I mean, it's it's a game between two ranked teams. And I, I, I do think the Iowa State-Kansas game um, is intriguing, but it's at Allen. So it's just like... What are we? What are we playing yeah. for? Uh, go over to Emo Online. We have our uh, Big Twelve basketball rankings uh, that the three of us do. You, me, and Gabe. Those are up. Uh, we just average them out to to how we decide the order. Um, a lot of similarities here. You still have Texas over Iowa State. You're a big Texas believer. Um, other, I, can, I, can I comment on that real quick? Go with Texas. It. I have them ahead right now of. I have them ahead right now of Iowa State, but I think in like two weeks, I don't think I'm going to. Like right now, I think that they deserve to be ahead of Iowa State, but I think Iowa State by the end of the year is going to be better. Okay. I mean, I, I, I would agree with that maybe, but we'll – So I'm we'll just not see. projecting I, as much with it. Um, maybe there was a little bit where I projected in some spots like putting Baylor six, yeah. but um, I yeah, know, right now I have Texas six. third, but I almost put them um, – behind iowa state the the only other big significant difference uh is gabe and i had o state seventh you had them ninth because uh we were just the inverse with west virginia where we had them that's another one where it feels like maybe you feel like west virginia because of who they've had a play is in a tougher spot than oklahoma state right now yes okay well uh go check it out you can see the full rankings there and a little bit of a a little explainer as to uh, why each person put them there. Um, we, we give a little bit of a breakdown in our thoughts. Um, we'll see how it turns out this weekend in the Big 12. Should be exciting. We'll have another one of these on Monday 
uh, to recap what went down in Fort Worth and more so to get ready for what's going to take place with KU on Tuesday because that is going to be one heck of an environment. Well, final final thing, what did you think of the crowd Tuesday night? It was good. It was it was loud. Um, it was impressive. I'm excited to see it against Kansas because I know it'll be ratcheted up to another level. Yep, multiply it, throw in some F-bombs and a ton of hate, and that's what you're going to have Tuesday night. So uh, it's going to be fun, but the Wildcats have to focus on the Frogs this weekend. I don't know what Gabe has done yet, but uh, you and I both think K-State gets the win uh, down in Fort Worth. So um, we think the Wildcats will be 5-0, and and with that, it will be a top-10 matchup most likely come Tuesday in Manhattan. So that'll do it for Alec and I. We will have full coverage on Saturday from Fort Worth as the Wildcats and the Frogs get ready to square off in the Big 12. And then we will be back with another podcast on Monday to preview everything that will go down with K-State and KU.